Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and stopped up their ears, and they made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by His Spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. And when I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers, and the land was left so desolate behind them that no one could come or go. This is how they made the land, the pleasant land, desolate. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for continuing to speak to us. I thank you for your word that speaks into our lives. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the word that you've given to me this morning. Your hand is gracious upon each and every one of us. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us in a way that we hear and understand your word. We thank you, Lord, for the words from Zechariah. Lord, quicken it to our hearts today. Help us to help us to truly hear and apply your word to our lives. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to give too much of an introduction to Zechariah chapter 9. If you um, want to know how heavy this chapter is, I think we only need to jump to the 13th verse. And if we read that 13th verse and read God's word where Zechariah says, When I called, they did not listen. So God is saying, When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, and God is speaking, he says, so when they called, I would not listen. They're heavy words. <laughs> They're heavy words. So if you understand how, how heavy of a chapter this is, those words speak a mountain to us. Uh, as we go through Zechariah chapter 7, uh, you'll notice that there's not a lot of the prophetic images that we had in all of the other chapters. I mean, it's sort of a little bit of fun going through when you're talking about horses and chariots and and all of the things about the temple and, and try to get understanding of all those, we get to chapter 7 and Zechariah shooting straight with them and answering a question they have for them. And so even though we don't have all of the prophetic voices that are speaking to a future day that was coming, of a Messiah that was coming and bringing out about the kingdom of God, we do have the words of Zechariah that are speaking to their condition of the day, the condition of their past, and I believe is speaking to our condition today and our future as well. And so as we walk walk through this, there are words that we have to grapple with and tackle in our own lives. And just as a reminder for a bit of fun for those that are under 18, um, if, if you're an adult and you want to try and figure it out as well, go ahead. I, I would hope it would be easier for you as I go through the points. Uh, pay attention to them. I, I do have that message in there and you'll see how it comes out in the end. So I hope you're buckled up. This chapter is quite interesting and uh, quite the journey for us to go through. And so I'm going to jump right in and start talking about the first uh, seven verses that are in here and where I'm going to talk about phony fasting. And so with the, the phony fasting that's going on here, uh, you'll start to see some of the words that I'm using here. When we get to this chapter and look at the first seven verses of chapter 7, we have the people that were coming to the religious people of the day. We are told that the, these men that came from during the month of Kislev 
uh, on the fourth day of the ninth month, they came to ask a question of the religious leaders of the day, of the priests, of the prophets, uh, most likely from Zechariah and from Haggai. They were the two prophets of the day. And they came and asked this question, hey, should we keep on fasting? We used to fast in the fifth month of the year, so should I mourn and fast in the fifth month, as I have done for so many years? And, you know, the fifth month, when it comes around next year, is this important for me? And so I want to go back and say, well, why did they fast in the fifth month of the year in the first place? I personally reading through it, I'm saying, okay, why did they fast? And, And doing a very quick research, you learn that they fast in the fifth month of the year because that's when the temple burned down. And you have Solomon's temple in all of its grandeur, and, and you have this beautiful, beautiful temple. What a certain point in Israel's history, they were attacked from outside, and that temple was burned down. And so basically we get to some dates, and I'm going to give you even the days. So on the 7th of Av, which is the fifth month of the Jewish year, in that fifth month, the entire uh, building started to burn, and the outside of the building started to burn. And then on the 10th of the month, 10th of Av, uh, you have... The entire building was burnt to the ground and destroyed. And so they started to have a fast every year in memory of the temple being burned down. Uh, to make it a little bit more ironic, we now are talking about the second temple that was being rebuilt. And you go through and you get all the way into the New Testament and you get to 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed after Jesus had ascended into heaven and you get to 70 A.D. What's a little bit ironic, it was burned down again on the 10th of Av. Um, irony, take it for what you want, but there's the date. And that's the fifth month of the year, and they would fast and mourn for 24 hours on that fifth month because their temple was burned down. And so if you want to look at it, if the central point of all of your country's uh, religious observances, that central point was burned to the ground, what would you do? And it would be the same kind of reaction we would have, and hopefully when we see other churches that are burned down, and it has happened in our nation's history where churches are burned to the ground, hopefully that that puts a certain feeling into you uh, of how tragic that is, and I think we would feel the same thing if something like that happened in our own church, and it puts a certain feeling. So they would fast every year because of this. And so here are the questions that God asks. In this, these chapter, in this chapter, in these verses, in verse, starting at verse five, ask all the people of the land and the priest, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months in the past seventy years, was it really for me that you fasted? Hmm, that's a tough question. Was it really for the Lord that they fasted? Going on with verse six, and when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and the Negev and the western foothills were settled? God's coming back to them and saying, Look, you've been fasting for 70 years and mourning this whole temple being burned down. But why were you really fasting? Were you fasting because you were sad that this building burned down? Or were you fasting because you couldn't go and worship the Lord like you sh- like you should and could go worship the Lord. And God is challenging them because they were having a phony fast. They were having a, a fast that had nothing to do with God about being reflective of God and who God is and what God wanted to do in their life. They were fasting because they lost their way of life. They lost something that was important to them. They couldn't go to the temple and, and worship God. And it wasn't about God. It was. It became about this is just something that we do. 
on Sunday morning, we get up and we get in our car and we drive down to church. We put on our mask. We walk into church. We, we worship God and we go home. Oh, wait a minute. I can't go on Sunday. Somebody burned it down. Man, life is terrible. And they weren't upset that they, they, they lost God. They had lost God year be, years before that. They were upset because they lost their pretty building. And God's saying, this fast is all phony. It's not a focus on God like I would desire. And so... Here we are in our own lives. Life has been interrupted. If your life hasn't been interrupted, mine has been. Uh, we ask people to wear masks to go into church. Isn't that a strange, a strange thing to do? Uh, your life is interrupted. It's not the way that I want it to be. People, people have lost their jobs over the last several months. I am sure that's not the way they want their life to be. We went through a period where our restaurants were closed. That's not the way that I want life to be. Uh, I think if you go to the gym today, I don't like going to gyms, but if you go to the gym, everybody's trying to maintain social distance at the gym. Uh, if you go to, into a restaurant, I was away for the last couple days, and you go into a restaurant to eat, and this table has people at it, and then it's another three tables over before there's people at the other one. That, that's not the way I want life to be, and life becomes interrupted. And so, so here's where we go as Christians. And I want you to understand this, and this is not a dig on anybody, but here's where, here's where we go. We go to, we go to 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people are called by my name, blah, 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 blah. Because it's not that I want God. It's not that I want God. I want my life back to what it was. Now, if you think about that verse, and, and I've seen that verse over and over and over and over, and I keep hearing people say that verse over and over and over, and it's a wonderful verse, but it's a verse about repentance. It's not a verse about getting my restaurant that I like to go to back. It's not getting my church so we can have three sections instead of three chairs here, two chairs here, five chairs here, and everybody spread out. It's about, I want my life back to normal. I want things back the way that I like them. And so I'm willing to pray a prayer because I think God will move and get things back to how I like them. And I don't know where your prayers are, and I don't know where your desires are during this time of upheaval that we've gone through. Zechariah is speaking to a people that have gone through terrible upheaval, that have gone off to the land of captivity, have come back. Some of them have gone for 70 years, another for 40-plus years, and have come back to, to Jerusalem. And they're saying, hey, should we keep on fasting? I want life back to normal. And God's saying, you missed a point, buddy. You missed the whole point. You want life You want life back to normal. See, what you want is you want the hand of God to pour out all this stuff, but you don't want to look in the face of God. And we have to ask ourselves as Christians today, are we looking for the hand of God because we want to get back to the land of of plenty, the land of milk and honey, and the land of opulence, and the land of life is grand and wonderful, or are we looking in the face of God and saying, what do you want to say to me? And God, what do I need to repent of? What do I need to apologize for to you, God? Where do I need to fall on my knees before God and say, yeah, I messed it up, God. Forgive me and let me keep on going. Is that the prayer we want to bring to God? Is that the prayer we want to bring to God? Or do we want to bring the prayer to God and say, I want to go back to the land flowing with milk and honey, God. Get me there quickly because I don't like this land of whatever's going on. And that's what God was saying through Zechariah to the people of Israel. I believe it's something that he's saying to us today. See, when you discipline a child, 
and you take a child and you discipline a child, you know quite often they're very quickly to say sorry? So their hand was caught in the cookie jar. They weren't supposed to get in the cookie jar. Mama scolded them, go sit on the timeout chair. You weren't supposed to get in the cookie jar. Go sit on the timeout chair. You're going to sit there for 10 minutes. I'm sorry, Mommy. I, I know I'm not supposed to get in the cookie jar unless, unless I ask you first. Okay, you're forgiven. Here's a cookie. Do you know why that child apologized? They apologized because you were going to give them a cookie. And we're sitting here as Christians saying, Lord, I'm sorry for the way that I made things. Please give me another cookie. I want to get back to the land of milk and honey. And that's not what God's saying. God's saying, forget your fast. Forget your fast. It's worthless. And he was telling the people of Judah, that fast was worthless. Get your eyes back on me. Get your eyes back on the things that I want you to be about. Get your lives focused back on me. And that's where we're going to move next. So I'm going to move on from phony fasting and, and uh, enough about the phony fasting. And we've got to get past the point where we're selfish and we want more cookies and get to the point where we want God. And the word of, that came through Zechariah moves on from phony fasting to what I'm going to call philanthropy living. There's a mouthful for you. But I had to find a word that started with PH. You'll live with it. Uh, philanthropy living. And it is philanthropy living as we continue to go on in verses 8 through 10 of the same chapter. We get the words. Again, the word came to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. See, from their phony fast, he's saying, look, this is where you missed it. You were supposed to have this philanthropy living and you missed it. And you got selfish and you got focused on yourselves and you were forgetting about the widow. You were forgetting about the fatherless. You were forgetting about the alien. You were forgetting about the poor. You were thinking about evil for everybody else. You weren't administering true justice. You weren't showing mercy. You weren't showing compassion to one another. All of the things that they were neglecting to do and God's saying because of it, your fasts were phony and you missed out on the philanthropy living that you're supposed to be carrying out for me. I want to give you a lot of verses. I can give them to you later, but I want to read them for you. I'm not going to give you, I'm going to give you the reference. Leviticus 19.18, Matthew 19.19, Matthew 22.39, Mark 12.31, Luke 10.27, Romans 13.9, Galatians 5.14, James 2.8. Do you know all of those verses say the same exact thing? All of them say the same exact thing. They all say, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a lot of verses. A lot of verses. I think God put them in there for us. Leviticus 19.18, Matthew 19.19, Matthew 22.39, Mark 12.31, Luke 10.27, Romans 13.9, Galatians 5.14, James 2.8. You can look up, just do a Bible reference, love, love one another, and you'll find them all. And Jesus, when he said, love your neighbor as yourself, he didn't have to go on to explain to us because we already have what he explained to somebody else who our neighbor is. Jesus already explained that. He told the whole parable about the Good Samaritan. If I summarize, love someone who you don't like. If I had to summarize the whole story of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan went and loved on an enemy. He took care of him. He met his needs. He did whatever he had to. He even told the innkeeper, and if it costs even more, I'll pay you some more when I come back. He went out of his way to help someone that he wouldn't normally take care of. And, he, and this is Jesus giving us true mercy justice responsibility all of the things that are wrapped up the compassion if all of us could just live this out in one little bit in our lives just in the chance encounters we have in life 
just in the chance encounters we have in life, if we would live out, love your neighbor as yourself, this world would be a better place and we would have philanthropy living. When we see injustice, speak out. When we see the poor abused, speak out. And the verses speak for themselves or how we to be how we are to be active in the concerns of others beyond our needs. Did you ever think about this one? Did you know you can make God mad? We're talking about emotions now in our Sunday school class. Did you ever get think about getting my, God mad? Verses 11 and 12. But they refused to pay attention, and stubbornly they turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by His Spirit through His earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. Want to get God mad? Get Him very angry? Ignore justice. And you get Him very angry. At least that's what my Bible says. I'm not sure what your translation says, but I'm not sure if I can twist it any other way. If we want to ignore loving our neighbors as ourselves and walk right on past that, God looks at us and says, yeah, so much for that philanthropy living, Ralph. He says, you going to make a U-turn and go back and fix it? Sometimes we do have to make U-turns and go back and fix it. Sometimes it's so far in the past, you can't go back and fix it. And so we have to be aware and let the Holy Spirit guide us as we move forward and take care of it the next time. And that's what God was calling the Israelite people to. He was calling to them to be a light to the nations that are around them, and they missed it. They ended up with their phony fast, and they ended up missing out on the philanthropy living in the way that they should. You know, if I wanted to paraphrase the way the Israelites reacted to this, and, and I think the kids would like this. What is this? Talk to the hand. Talk to the hand, because the ears ain't listening. Right? Talk to the hand. because What they do? They stuck their fingers in their ears. I can't hear you, God. Can't hear you. That's what they were doing. And we have to be so sensitive to this and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Don't put your fingers in your ears. Don't miss out on this. It's what God was saying to the people of Judah. And we have to be careful in our own lives. When the Holy Spirit speaking to us, it's something that we are hearing and we are moving on. I'm going to keep on going. Phony fast to this reflection on philanthropy living, and it moves on to phantom answers. This this is the big verse, really, for us to chew, to grapple with. I was asked a question before in Sunday school class. I remember the question. Does God always hear our prayers? And very quickly I said no. (laughs) And after I said no, I had to start digging in my Bible until I found the one verse. And here's the second verse. This is a tough verse. In verse where, when I called, they did not listen. God's calling out to us. God is calling out to us all the time. When God called, they did not listen. And so when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. That's a tough one. How many of your friends always say, yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for that. Yeah, I'm praying for you. And you scratch your head and say, (laughs) I wonder if God's listening to their prayer. I don't know. Because I don't know. Because I don't know if they're living the way that God wants them to live. And I don't know because I don't know if they're a Christian. 
And if they're not a Christian, I'm not sure who they're talking to. I'm not sure what God they're talking to. And the Bible says when I, when, when I called, they wouldn't listen. And so he says when they called, I wouldn't listen. There's a reality, and I do know, there is a time where God hears every prayer. And that's when anyone calls on the name of the Lord to be saved, he will hear that prayer. Let me give you that. When anybody calls on the name of the Lord, anyone, because the Bible tells me in Romans, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's in Romans 10.13. So I do know that prayer is always answered. But But I do know that there are times in our lives where we're living in such disobedience, God's waiting for us to come back in confession to Him and to fall on our knees, to repent of our wicked ways, to turn from our wicked ways, and then He'll heal our lamb. And until then... I can cry out for milk and honey all day long. I can cry out that God opens up my favorite restaurant. I can call out that, God, we want this coronavirus gone because I don't like wearing a mask anymore. And God's up there saying, yep, and you stuck your fingers in your ears when I called to you. Now I'm up here with my fingers in my ears. And you can keep on calling to be selfish, but I'm not hearing your selfish prayer. Here's reality. You have a teenager, and you say to your teenager, look, Could you take out the trash? I need you to clean up your room and then help with the dishes. And so four or five hours go along. The trash is still there. The room is still dirty. The dishes are still in the sink. And they come up and they say, Hey, can I go ride the motorcycle for a while out in the fields? Can I have the keys to the car? I'd like to go visit my friends. And as a parent, what do you say? You say, No. 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 You haven't taken out the trash. You haven't cleaned your room. You haven't helped wash the dishes. Why am I going to give you the motorcycle to go ride around the fields and have fun? Why am I going to give you the keys to the car to go visit your friends? And that request falls on silent ears because the things that were asked by the parent haven't been done yet. Yet in our spiritual lives, in our own Christianity, we end up with this theology that is a little bit backwards where we say, God, I want... And God says, yeah, right. And God's saying to us, and He's saying, look, I want... I want you to walk in obedience. I want you to administer true justice. I want you to show mercy. I want you to show compassion to one another. I want you to not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the the alien and the poor. I want you in your hearts to not think evil of each other. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. We're like, yeah, God, I'll take care of that later. Just give me the keys to the car because I want to go visit my friends. Guys, they're like, yep, right. (laughs) And that's what that verse says. And I, I could try to ignore it, but I can't. I believe it's why in James 5.16, and it makes this verse a little bit more understandable of of James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I think it makes that verse a lot more understandable. Because I can't have the second half if I don't have the first half. I can all day long say, oh, I'm righteous, so God's going to hear my prayer. That verse starts out with, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
whatever the infirmity may be, whether it's spiritual or physical, confess your sins. Go to God in prayer. Lord, I have failed you in this way in my lack of obedience. And go to God in prayer. And then allow God to start pouring into you to be right used by God, His righteousness. And when we're right used by God, then our prayers become powerful and effective. Because they become prayers of obedience to God where we're praying for God's will to be done. I'm not praying that I can go ride the motorcycle. I'm praying that God puts another person in my life that I can tell tell them about Jesus Christ. I'm praying that God put another person in my life so I can help feed them. God put another person in my life that's struggling with something so I can step in the gap for them and be a voice for them. And when my prayers become the Lord's will then I understand what it means to pray in the Lord's will and to have God answer my prayers because I am in His will and being obedient to His will and I'm living out righteousness in the way that God would want to rightly use me and use you as well. And then He will hear our prayers and our lives have turned from inward and being selfish to being outward and the philanthropy living and giving in to everybody else and we don't have to worry about phantom answers because God's hearing our prayers because of the way that we're living right for Him phony fast. We're missing God's opportunity quite often for philanthropy living, phantom answers, and I'm going to wrap it up with physically gone. You think a spiral and a slippery slope? Read the last verse of the chapter. The lamb was left so desolate behind them that no one could come or go. Wow. Wow. I don't want the land behind me being desolate. Do you want the land behind you being desolate? Hopefully the answer is no, I don't. It was so desolate that people didn't even want to go there anymore. And Zechariah is reminding the people of their history because they were so disobedient. There's so much lack of obedience in the Israelites that they were scattered. And God allowed them to be taken away from the land that was promised to them. The land that was flowing with milk and honey became a wasteland. And it was a sad day in their history. And it was certainly not one that God desired for them. God didn't bring them out of a land of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, to bring them through the wilderness for 40 years into the promised land that He had for them. He didn't bring them there so that they could live lives of disobedience to Him. He brought them there so they could be a light shining to the nations that were around Him. And because of their failure, their land sat in desolation. And now they have a second chance. And Zechariah is reminding the people, look, you're here for a second chance. God's brought you back into this land. Let's not waste it. In our day, we can't pretend this isn't a reality for us as well. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. Proverbs says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves. As a father, the son He delights in. It's repeated again in Hebrews 12.6. First Timothy 1, 18-20. Paul writes to Timothy. He says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. And among them are Hermanius and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. I don't want to be handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. I don't think you want to be either. 
But I know as I go through and I understand what Zechariah was saying to the people of Israel, he's saying, look, if you don't get these things in order and if you don't start living the way that God wants you to live, you're heading down the wrong You're heading down the wrong path. You're heading to that path of destruction, of desolation, of where everything is going to be gone. It's physically gone. And God keeps calling us back because I know it's God's desire through our confession that our sins be gone and not our lives be gone. It's not God's desire for our lives to be shipwrecked with regard to our faith. It's God's desire to keep calling us back. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do all of this? Have you ever had a coworker who's just always getting in trouble at work? I've had a couple over the years. You just, you watch them, you see how they work, you see their punctuality or lack thereof. Uh, they're coming in a little bit late every day, every day. They might be leaving a little bit early. Uh, they're not doing the work they should. And, and you watch, and then all of a sudden the hammer comes down. Either they're given some kind of write up or wherever they call it wherever you work or they maybe showed the back door and, and walked out it and, and you watch that you know you could either look at the co-worker and say I want to be like that person or you can learn from the co-worker and say I better not do those things because I don't want those to happen in my life, life as well anybody who has had a sibling a brother or a sister and, and as you're growing up as a child and you look at your brother and your sister and you see, oh, they just did something really bad and mom and dad are upset with them and they're really getting the punishment. They're, they're grounded for the next month and a half and you're watching your brother or your sister growing up and you say, yeah, I've learned my lesson. I don't even have to do that and, and I'm not going to do that because I just don't want to go there because I don't want to have that same thing come in my life as well. And we, we've been there, and hopefully you've been there as well, and you, you've learned those lessons by watching somebody else, and something disastrous happens, and you say, oh, I just don't want to be there. That's one of the, way the ways that we learn through life. So what do we do with all of this? I want us to learn. I want us to learn the reality that what happened to the Israelites, to the people of Judah, the reminder that Zechariah is going and giving to them are things that can happen to us, but it doesn't have to happen to us. We don't have to go there. We see how God's hand worked on the, in their lives. When Paul writes in, in the scriptures about the Israelites, and he's talking about when they were going through the wilderness, he writes these words. He says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the whole culmination of ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And there's a reminder about the wilderness and the Israelites going through the wilderness. But the same thing applies here. I want to take all of these things that are on the screen behind me and say, I don't want to go there. And I pray that you don't either. Because there, there is a place that God does not desire for us as well. There is no reason for us to go down the path of phony fast. There's no reason for us to go down a path of neglecting the philanthropy living that God calls us to. There's no reason for us to go down a pass, path of phantom answers and certainly to avoid the pitfall of everything being physically gone. We don't have to go there. And you know how we can avoid going there? Cry out to God. Lord, forgive me of my failures in my past. Lord, take me down the right path in the future and help me to be obedient. Very simple. 
Will I trip and fall tomorrow? Yes. Will you trip and fall tomorrow? Yes. But through God's grace and God's help, it'll be a lot less frequent. And God will put people in our path where we can bring forth justice, where we can love our neighbor as ourselves, where we can declare the praises of God, and God will keep bringing people in our path that we can walk in obedience the way God would desire. We all end up with a choice to make. Do we confess what was in our past and allow God to heal it and forgive it and then move forward with God? Or we just pretend that it wasn't there, stick our fingers in our ears, blah, 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 blah. It meant nothing to me. And I'll just keep heading down that destruction. That's the choice we have this morning. Hopefully you choose life. Hopefully you choose confession to God, forgiveness from God, life with God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you've given us this chapter in the Bible, Zechariah chapter 7. A beautiful warning to the people of Judah, the one that brings forward into our lives today and is so fitting for our lives today. Lord, open our eyes to see Open our ears to hear. Open our hearts to make the decision that we want to walk in obedience to you. Help us to not harden our hearts. Help us to not grow cold and silent. Lord, you're the one that forgives. As we cry out for your forgiveness, we know you are the one who forgives. It cleanses us, renews us. It lifts us up and helps us to stand back on the right path, walking with you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for allowing us to be in your house to worship you and to praise your name, to glorify you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for helping us to get over technical difficulties and allowing your word to go forth. You're a great God and a wonderful God. I know you love us and care for us. Be with us through this week. Help us to find ourselves worshiping, praising you, worshiping and praising you each and every day. We ask this all in our Savior's name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful and blessed week.